Roger Giovanni, welcome to In the Pews. Rudy, thank you for having me. We thank you so much for coming in on such short notice. I mean, this was like, what, two days notice? Basically. That's all right. Now you are on your regular two-week... My, yeah, my three-week... Oh, three-week. Three-week family visit every year after you take vows. So I'm, I've been in the seminary at St. Michael's Abbey in Orange County, California for four years now. And after you take vows, after your second year, uh-huh. then you get to go visit your family for three weeks in the summer each year. So that's why I'm back in Houston right now. So you're here, it's always during the summer. Always during the summer at some point. Yeah. I bet you're glad you wear white here in Houston during the summer. I do, but I wear a lot of layers and it's about 140 degrees out there. (laughs) So it doesn't matter how white it is. It's still pretty warm. Do you think you, you know, you guys can get something like made out of dry fit or something custom made? You know, we're working on our sponsorship with Nike and Adidas. We have a little bit of a bidding war going on, but we'll we'll see what happens. How many layers do you have on right now? See, one, two, uh, three, four, five. Five layers. Do you put in an extra layer to absorb sweat that you can... I wear an undershirt. That helps, you know, but... Still better than black, though. It is better than black. (laughs) It's true. It is better than black, so... You are with the Norbertines. Yes. And where are you, you know, located? We are in Southern California in Orange County, about one hour south of Los Angeles. And the founder of our order, many people don't even know what a Norbertine is. Uh I, I didn't. For example, I, didn't, I never heard of St. Norbert, who founded our order 900 years ago. In fact, last year was the 900th anniversary of the founding of our order. Oh, wow. And we moved into our brand new monastery. Um, it was a $150 million fundraising project. It was the largest fundraising project in American Catholic Church history. And we've got 40 men in formation, about 50 priests in our community. We had to build a new monastery because we ran out of room at our old place. Wow. And, and now we've already basically run out of room at our new place. That's a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have. Wow. Yeah. And how long have you been there? I just finished my fourth year. So I could have gotten a four-year degree and, you know, done something useful according to the world, but hey. Did you grow up here in Houston? I did. I, I grew up in Sugarland, went to St. Lawrence through from elementary school, and then I went to Strake Jesuit for high school. And then I went to the University of Texas in Austin, where I got a bachelor's degrees in, in economics and rhetoric. And I graduated there in 2016. What were you hoping to become? I, honestly, I kind of wanted to ru- run the world, but uh, <laughs> you know, God had other plans. So I started a couple of businesses while I was at UT and tried running those and um, had some success, had a lot of you know ups and downs like any business owner or entrepreneur. And I was kind of at a crossroads when I was running my, my second business. It was an online news publication. And it, we, we founded and we launched our, our website and we were on Apple News and had an app and all of that stuff. And we launched it about two months before the term fake news became a thing. Uh-huh. And our whole purpose and our mission was to present news as unbiasedly as possible. Mm. And it was a really great kind of structure of our, the way we did articles, because we would give kind of just the facts Mm -hmm. in like a bullet point, and we would only link to primary sources. So if you wanted to know, you know, we would never secondhand quote someone. We would just take exactly the words that they said, and we would give you the direct link to their words themselves. And then we would also give 
the different sides of the issue of here's what people are saying on the left, here's what people are saying on the right, here's what people are saying everywhere else. So just really allowing people to make their own decision. And, yes. Um, you know. Did you grow up Catholic? I did. I grew up Catholic, but wasn't really practicing the faith until I uh, met Gabe in eighth grade when he was my religion teacher. That's Gabe of True Faith TV and uh -huh. Gabby After Hours. There you go, Gabe. There's your plug. You know, you can be happy now. Um, and this was at St. Lawrence? At St. Lawrence. And so you went to a Catholic school. I did. I did. But I, I really didn't take the faith seriously until I saw the way that he lived the faith. And I had never seen someone really want to become a saint. And I had never mm. seen someone who believed that was actually possible. And that that was actually what we were called to become, every single one of us. So that was a pretty moving experience for me. And he also gave me probably the greatest gift anyone could give someone. And that was, he taught me to love Our Lady and he taught me to pray the Holy Rosary. And that really changed the course of the rest of my life. So before that, you were pretty much a Sunday Catholic? Sometimes. Sometimes? Yeah. Okay. So sometimes you'd show up late for mass. Sometimes it sometimes would, wouldn't even show up at all. You, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but then eighth grade. Eighth grade. And how long did you have Gabe as a teacher? Just for one year. And he made that much of an impact on you that he, one yeah, year. Yeah, he did. He did. And then as I started praying the rosary every day and three, four, five rosaries a day and going to adoration every day, mass, daily, confession, weekly, I just had this burning desire to be a priest. And that was the, it's like, this is the only thing that makes sense. Uh huh. This is the reason why God made me. But my, my family was very opposed to my vocation. Really? So yeah. d during high school, you had already expressed to them that you had these ideas? No, I never told anyone. Okay. I, I think I told, I told Gabe, but that was about it. And it was pretty much just growing inside you. Right. And um, because I didn't really need to tell other people because other people were telling me oh. about how, oh, you're going to be a priest someday and all this stuff. Hey, you would make a good priest. Right. That's what they pretty much they'd say to you. Huh? Exactly. And already calling me father and that kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, but my, my family would um, just sort of preemptively tell me about how sad that made them or how disappointed they were about that. Really? What did they say? Um, I won't give direct quotes just for the sake of, uh, you know, uh -huh. et cetera. But, but they, they really saw it kind of as a betrayal in a way of, of what their expectation was from me. They saw, oh, here's my, you know, talented son. He could do anything in the world. Good looking guy too, could well, easily get married maybe, right? right? Yeah. yeah, get so. married, have a big, beautiful Catholic family, yes. and be successful. Give us beautiful grandkids. Especially that part, yeah. Are you an only child? I have an older brother. Okay. Yeah, but um, so, that was, that was difficult. And I kind of shied away from started drifting from the faith through high school. And then by the time I got to Texas in college, I really wasn't practicing the faith at all anymore. And um, that continued on for, I don't know, five or six years or so. Was this because of what was, you were hearing from your family? Or? Yeah, I was, I was, I mean, I wanted, I kind of wanted to make everyone happy Uh huh. where I, tried to rationalize not because I'm, I'm an all in kind of guy. I live in the extremes. It's either all or nothing, mm -hmm. but I wanted to balance these two sides. 
I wanted to make my family happy and I wanted to make God happy. And I couldn't find out how to do that. So that was a pretty difficult time. And so I figured, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to become as successful as possible. I'm going to make as much money as possible. I'm going to have the most beautiful wife possible, have the most kids possible. Uh And then I'm going to give a ton of money back to the church. Everybody wins. God wins. The church wins. My family wins. I win. Bada bing, bada boom. And the world tells you, like you said earlier, this is what's expected of you. Right. It's the idea of what success means has become so perverted really by, by our culture because we, we live in a culture that is very dark in a culture that has completely lost the, the tr- its true Christian identity. So, um, yeah, that was a, it was a, it was a difficult time, but, um, I had a, I had a powerful reversion experience when I was, when I was about two years into running my business after I had graduated and I, um, my grandfather died and I was very close with him. Successful businessman, you know, large Catholic family, very good, holy man. And I was the first person to his deathbed after he had died. And, uh, and I hadn't prayed in probably five or six years. Oh, wow. Kind of actively avoiding it uh-huh. because I knew that, you know, I knew I wasn't the, the person that God wanted me to be. And so I just tried to shut the, you know, I tried to compartmentalize and shut the door on him. Though intellectually, I never left the faith. I always knew this is the truth, but I didn't have the strength or the courage to live according to the truth. And uh, I remember standing at his deathbed and he had just passed away. And that was, it's a pretty jarring thing when you see someone um, whom you know and love and they're not there anymore. And despite the fact that I hadn't prayed in years, our Lord's words from the gospel just struck me and came to my heart. And it's almost like I could see Jesus in my heart. And he asked me this question. He said, you'll be knocking at the door, trying to get in, but will I recognize you? And I thought, yeah, wow. If I were knocking at heaven's door right now, Uh Jesus Christ would have no idea who I was. He would have no idea. Despite the fact that when I was a little boy, I was praying five rosaries a day and going to adoration every day. That was a different person. Uh I had become a different person. But what I was amazed by was our Lord's gentleness in that moment. It wasn't a harsh rebuke. It was a loving question, a sincere question. Scripture says he heals as he wounds. Anytime, and this is how we can also discern different spirits of what's from God, what's from the evil one, what's from us. Mm -hmm. The spirit of God always heals even when he pierces, he always heals. So even in that moment, when he was saying, I don't know you, he did it in a way that was compassionate and tender and merciful. And so that sort of began the coming home process. 
you could How say. old were you at this point? I was 24. Okay. You, so you were out of college already. Mm-hmm. And I was working for a few years and still running my business and was kind of at a crossroads with the business of, do I try and, you know, do a kind of a, a capital fundraise and, you know, hire more people. And uh-huh. we, we had at one point about 20 or so people working with us and we were fundraising and kind of. And this is the the app that you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, the, the news business. Yeah. Okay. Now, so until this point, you were pretty much turned away from your faith. You were just headed in a completely different direction, huh? Yeah. So from high school onwards, I suppose. Yeah. That's the, pretty much. The latter part of high school, yeah. So you were pretty much living the life that the world expected you to live. Mm-hmm. And by all worldly metrics, I was doing great. You know, I was, I was a beacon of success and, and of everything that I was supposed to be. And so the, the type of person that some parents would say, hey, you should be like him. Right, exactly. Right? And if I, it, but I was completely unhappy. Wow. I was completely, there was just a, an enormous void. Did you know it at that time that you were unhappy? Oh, yeah. But, but you just, nobody knew. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. Just inside yourself, you knew you were unhappy, but you had this front. Right. And you were just ignoring it, the fact that you weren't happy. Right. And I guess I knew that it was, that I was building a house of cards. Uh-huh. Because one of the, the prayers that I prayed as, as a young boy when I was praying those rosaries is I begged Our Lady, um, I asked her, Blessed Mother, this was my one request of her. I said, please never let me leave you. And when I made that prayer as a 14 year old, many, many times, I knew that she had answered the prayer and she said, I will never let you leave me. Now she answered the prayer in a different way than what I wanted because I didn't ever want to drift away from the faith. Mm -hmm. But as our Lord says in the gospel, he who has been forgiven much loves much. And had I not gone my wayward way, I wouldn't know divine mercy like I know divine mercy. I wouldn't know the compassion and the goodness of our sweet Savior and of His Holy Mother like I do now, because I am a terrible sinner and I have been forgiven much. And I have a heart that burns with the desire to share that mercy with the world and to say those healing words of absolution over a soul one day, God willing, and to tell that soul, you have been freed, go in peace. At any point, did you feel like you were beyond saving? Yes. Yeah. How bad was it? Well, there was one time, it's probably the first time I actually prayed in those five or six years, it was like three in the morning and I couldn't sleep. And I had just this moment of contrition, which is just a a grace in that moment. And I was just full of sorrow for my sins. And I was begging God for forgiveness. And I was telling him just honestly, I was like, Lord, I don't want to be like this, but I'm too afraid to come back to you but I'm sorry. And Lord, I'm not promising that I'm going to confession tomorrow because I'm not going to lie to you. 
mm-hmm. but I was just there weeping, you know, in the middle of the night, sorry for my sins. And that night I actually kind of had a spiritual attack um, by the evil one, uh, which was pretty serious, pretty vivid, but um, which was terrifying. What happened? Uh, I'll just kind of put in the most vague way of, it was clear that I had done something that really angered Satan. Okay. He saw that, he must have seen that a company of angels and saints had gathered around my bed. Okay. And that he was losing his grip on a soul. And so he took some revenge a little bit. But, and the thing is, it worked for a while. Because that next day, I was too terrified to go to confession. Oh. And I was too terrified to really pray. And I was like, okay, uh uh-uh. Was it like a sense of embarrassment in front of the Lord or... Uh, no, it was, it was, it was fear, I think more than anything. Fear of? I think fear of the unknown challenge of the cross, mm. of every possible thing that I would be giving up, every future that would be thrown away, every, the, the basically the, the war that he was calling me to fight, I didn't, I was terrified to go to battle. At this point, did you think if I walk down this path, it's going to lead me towards priesthood or did you think? 100%. Okay. So it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to come back to God, but I can still be a father and have children. It, that's true, but that wasn't. But you knew that it was. I, I knew that that wasn't it. And so that's, that's your calling. Right. Which is why it was, I was, it was all or nothing. Uh huh. And what what was interesting is let's you know fast forwarding years later when I have that moment of whatever it was at the side of my grandfather. I w- I wasn't thinking about the priesthood in that moment. And a good friend of mine called me that night and he goes, "Hey, do you want to go to confession with me?" Not to him; he's not a priest, but you know, go with him yes, to yeah. confession. <laughs> um. And I was like, and he's asked me that question before many times. And I always Uh give some BS reason of why, no, I'm not going to go to confession. But this time, for whatever reason, I just said, sure, why not? Uh Did this friend know what was going on with you in your life? No. Just out of nowhere. It was like, hey, come on, we're going to confession just casually. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so I did. And... I mean, God gave, this is another beautiful thing about our Lord and our lady that, so Satan always wants us to live either in the past or in the future. That's where he is. He's in the past and he's in the future. But God is the present moment. He is in the present moment. And he communicates his grace only in the present moment. We can only receive God's grace right now. God is not in the future and in the past that's not where he lives with us. He lives with us right here as we are. And in that moment, God gave me the grace not to think about the past, but especially not to think about the future. He just gave me the grace to do this one little thing right now, right here. And that was enough. And so I did, and I laid all of my sins down five or six years worth of sins in Austin, Texas. And you know, the whole worldly life. Yes. And I left the confessional. It was interesting because 
when I left the confessional, I felt no peace of soul. Really? Mm-hmm. Even though you'd laid it all down, dropped all of this, yeah. this whole load you were carrying for years, mm-hmm. you still didn't feel that. Didn't feel it at all. But what was interesting is I remember thinking back to when I would go to confession in the past and I always felt that peace, uh-huh. that forgiveness. Yes. And I thought, why, like, why am I not experiencing that right now? But what was interesting is I knew intellectually or in, my, in the deepest place of my soul, I knew that I had been forgiven. I knew that I had been washed clean by the blood of mm-hmm. our Lord. I knew that there was no more sin. I didn't feel it, but I knew it. And my, my penance was a rosary. And I remember this was kind of how I, how I realized how far I had fallen, that I forgot how to pray the rosary. Oh, wow. So I had now, to- From going from doing several rosaries a day to just completely forgetting how to do the whole thing. So I was in that church and I had to Google how to pray the rosary on my phone. Your friend wasn't there to help you out? No, he was, he was somewhere else. At he that was point. doing his own penance. Yeah, he was yeah. doing his own, which is probably like 12 rosaries or something, knowing him. <laughs> Where was this, by the way? This was at St. Teresa's. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember which priest it was? I do. I do. Who was it? It was Father Greg, I think. And um, when I was praying that rosary, I remember just experiencing like this, this demonic attack again where all of these terrible demonic thoughts were like entering into my heart from, from outside. That was oh, the other wow. thing. And it was, a, they were all about the rosary and they were all about Our Lady. Like all of based just these blasphemies. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't believe this. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. It's like, what, why, why, what is happening right now? Like, you why were fighting it? a battle while I, I was. praying the rosary. I was. And what I realized though, was that Satan is really unhappy right now. All of hell is furious and all of heaven is rejoicing because one who was lost and was dead has come back to life. And so he's attacking Mary. He's trying to drive a wedge between me and Our Lady. There must be a reason for that because she's the one that he fears most. She's the one who, from the beginning, crushes his head. Mm-hmm. She is the immaculate one whose heart will triumph and who will draw all men to her son. She is the one who crushes the head of the serpent, who destroys all heresy and who has the entire deposit of God's mercy to bestow on any soul who comes to her. So if I were Satan, I'd be pretty darn scared too. <laughs> And so, so I, I finished that rosary and again, no peace of soul, but I just realized there was a certain peace in that I knew I was right where I was supposed to be. There was no fear about the future and there was no thought of priesthood or anything like that. It was just, here I am today. In the moment. In the moment. And so that next day I, I did something crazy. Uh, it was like a Wednesday or something. And I thought, I'm going to go to mass. Do they do that during the week? I'm going to go, I'm going to go see. Oh, you didn't even know if they did it during the well, week? Well, you know, tongue in cheek a little bit, but like, yeah, okay. I, I, I figured that was still a thing that happened, but you know, it'd been a while. Uh-huh. 
And um, I went looking for mass, but I accidentally went to the adoration chapel instead. And when I got to the adoration chapel, this is at St. Lawrence and there are the, the clear glass windows on the doors leading into the chapel. Uh-huh. Still no peace, nothing. And I remember looking through the glass window pane and I saw our Lord there on the altar exposed in the blessed sacrament. And the moment that my eyes met his, I was washed with peace from head to toe. It's like everything that I had ever been looking for, I found. That's when you felt it. And so then I, I went and I knelt down in, in adoration and I'm just looking at our Lord and I'm like, Jesus, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know how I got here. And I just told him from the depths of my heart, I'm like, Lord, I don't know how to pray. I don't, I don't know how to do this. Mm -hmm. But our divine, merciful Savior was just like, it doesn't matter. You don't need to know how to say anything in my presence. You are here and that is enough. And the, the story of the prodigal son came to my heart. But specifically, even though I hadn't read that story in many, many years, but specifically that one part of the story when the son returns to the father and he falls on his knees and he's, you know, laying it all down. But what came to my heart was what the father did not say not what he said, but what he did not say, mm. which was, he did not say, why have you done this? What's wrong with you? How could you? Mm. Or there was no condemnation. There was no judgment. It was just, it's, it, he overlooked all of it. He just went right to the, to preparing the feast. Yeah. No, I told you so, or right. you should have listened to me. Right. None of that. <laughs> it was just go get the fattened calf and bring me a, a ring and a robe, uh -huh. which those are signs of, of royalty and divinity, which is what happens when we return to a state of grace. We are clothed with the robe of salvation. We are wedded to God. We are united with, with his very divine essence in the depths of our soul, mm -hmm. we become heirs to the kingdom of God. No matter how much we have squandered our inheritance, we are only one confession away from returning to being heirs to the kingdom of God. And so that really moved me. I was like, wow, Jesus, who are you? You know? Uh huh. So then about 30 minutes later, I realized this is not mass. Um, <laughs> oh, so you were waiting for mass to start. I was waiting for mass to start. <laughs> and I, I realized that was the adoration chapel, so I had to go over uh -huh. to the church. And But you knew what adoration was. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and then during mass, it, it's kind of like, if you know the story of, of Anthony of the desert, when he walked into the church one day and he heard the gospel being read and the gospel was, go sell everything that you have and come and follow me. And he knew that those words were for, her, for, for him in that moment. And so he left the church and he went and he sold everything and became a father of the church and more or less the founder of monasticism in some ways. A similar 
kind of experience happened at that mass where the gospel that day was, I think it was Luke 21 verses or Luke 12 verses 12 through 19, something like that. And it's the story of when our Lord says, they will, they will seize you and they will persecute you. They will have you led before kings and governors because of my name. And it will lead to your giving testimony. You will even be handed over by mother and father, by brothers and sisters, and by friends. They will put some of you to death, but not a hair on your head will be touched. For by your perseverance, you will secure your life. And I was just bawling as I was hearing this. Because it it was talking right to you. It was talking right to me. It's all of my fear. There it was. Jesus was speaking right to it. And he was annihilating it. But what's amazing is he was telling the truth, which was, you will be persecuted. Mm -hmm. You might be even handed over to death. Uh They might even kill you but not one hair will be touched because your perseverance will save your soul. That gave me so much strength and because he is the word, the divine word. He is the word of life, which is why the gospels are so powerful. We should never let a day go by when we don't read something from the gospels. If that's three verses, anything, just keep, the gospels by your bedside. Do not go to bed before you have read at least something from the gospels every single day, because that is where we encounter Christ in the most intimate ways. That is where the word speaks the word to the depths of our heart. And that is where we truly learn to know him and we learn about him because we come in direct contact with him. It's like calling your best friend. You know, you could, you could, just go through your memory bank and say, remember all those nice things about your best friend, uh-huh. but that's not the same as yeah. a real personal conversation with a person. And that's what happens every single time we open the gospels. Christ is ready to speak to us. So the depths of our heart, no commentary on scripture, no saint, no doctor of the church, mm-hmm. no modern self-help book, nobody, nothing uh-huh. can do for us our souls what our Lord is able to accomplish when we read his gospels. So when you got this message speaking right towards you, Mm -hmm. what did you do next? I remember just making a prayer to our lady and saying, I have no idea how this is all going to end up. Little did I realize, you know, this was going to (laughs) happen. All of my fears would come true. But uh, I just made a sort of a prayer of abandonment to her. And I said, if, if you walk with me, I will, whatever that is. And I don't know what that is, but let's do this. Did you think about the business that you had? Oh, yeah. What's going to happen to it now? Who's going to take yeah, it over? But, but there was total peace about all of that. Uh-huh. There was no anxiety about any of it. Before I, you had that, right, you were worried but, about that. Oh yeah. I was worried about all of that. and what am I going to do in the future and this business or not this business selling it or, you know, whatever. 
but not in that moment. There was no thought of the priesthood necessarily. There was no thought of the business. It was just everything was okay, even though I had no answers to any of my questions. Which is completely the opposite of what the world teaches you. The world teaches you, you've got to have a plan. Right. You got to have a five-year plan. You got to know what's next, you, you know. But here you are, you have no idea what's going to happen, and you're at peace. I'm at peace, total peace. Yeah. And to kind of zip things through how that story carried on is, I made the great mistake of beginning to pray the rosary again every day. And I say the great mistake because, you know, here you go. <laughs> That's what happened. Um, but it was really just a few weeks after that, maybe six weeks later, that I made a come and see visit to the Norbertines at St. Michael's Abbey. How'd you hear about it? Um, kind of came to me in prayer and I was coincidentally, providentially, happened to be going to Orange County for my second cousin's wedding, uh, which was 30 minutes down the street from the Abbey. And I thought, hmm, that's, oh boy. that's interesting. You know, <laughs> maybe I should check it out. Uh-huh. And when I was there, I, I mean, I was a total peace again, total peace. Uh -huh. But I remember I experienced something that I had never experienced before, which was one day I was in, in my room and I was just struck by this sense of, I was like, wait a second. I'm not asking myself the question, what's next? I had never experienced that. Mm-hmm. You always had a plan. Yeah. And there's always, there's always something bigger, something better, something uh -huh. new, something novel, something greater. But in that moment, it was just like, this is next. Like this is the greater. There, there isn't, this, is, this isn't a step towards something else. This is it. Which I never thought that I would find. Wow. But my, so my heart, as our Holy Father, St. Augustine says, our heart is restless until it rests in you, O Lord. God made our hearts so that they could never be satisfied except in him and in his holy will. So that's why we experience so much dissatisfaction, so that the moment that we really do find him, we will know. And it will be deeper than words could possibly express but we will know. And so in that moment, I knew this is what God has prepared for me from before the foundation of the world. This is what my whole life has been leading to. So before this, did you even look into any other type of vocation? I did. Well, I visited about five communities throughout my discernment process. Uh-huh. And from the, from the moment of my reversion to the moment that I entered St. Michael's Abbey, it was about nine months. Okay. So it was pretty quick, pretty quick turnaround. And you'd been to other... I visited the, the Southern Province Jesuits. I visited the Dominicans on the East Coast, the Fraternity of St. Peter. And then I even went through the entire application process with the Archdiocese, Galveston, mm. Houston. Um, but I knew that there was one that God wanted for me. None of it fit. None of it fit. Yeah. And you walk into, into St. Michael's and you knew that was it. That was the fit. Yeah. How long did it take you to realize right away? Like you said, like that piece that you had or. Did... It, it was, it was pretty, 
it was pretty quickly, I think, when I was there. It was just a sense of, of belonging that I had been looking for. Uh-huh. Um, but I was, there was still a lot of fighting, internal fighting that went on. You know, the, the old man does not die easily. Uh-huh. And I was still thinking, of course, about what my family's going to say. So and, during this whole nine-month period, did they know that you were... They, they found that out pretty quickly. Once I started going back to mass and confession, uh, as my mom says, she's like, I knew what was going to happen next. Oh, wow. And uh, so I would kind of sneak away and I didn't even tell them <laughs> that I, what I was doing and, and just like, I'm going on a retreat and, you know, <laughs> going to stay an extra few days in California. And Look then, at this guy. He's being a rebel. He's going to confession. I right? know. He's it's terrible. Sneaking off and going to mass. And, <laughs> and uh, my mom's telling my dad, she's like, you know, I... I know where this is going. My dad's like, no, that's not happening. That's not going to happen. And she's like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Mother's intuition. Uh-huh. They're what about right. your brother? Uh, he, he didn't say much about it. He didn't say much about it. What about the business? Did, did you already start letting that go? Yeah, Were you phasing yourself out? I was phasing myself out. Yeah. And um, I'll kind of get to the very, the happy ending to all of this. Okay. Which was, I enter the Abbey nine months later and as a postulant, so that's what you're called when you enter and you wear a black suit, you look like a Mormon. And uh, for your first four months until you get the habit and a new name, your new religious name. So my new religious name is Giovanni, Frater Giovanni. What was your? William, Billy. Okay. And uh, Giovanni is is Italian for John, for John the beloved apostle. So um, the, the first priest son of Our Lady after our Lord first priest son of Our Lady, yeah, after Jesus, right? And um, when I got there, we, we were able to call home for like once a month for like 45 minutes. And we're, it's a very strict community. So no, no cell phone, no email, no internet mm-hmm. for your first couple of years. It's a total detox of, from the world, uh-huh. which was painful for me. It's very painful. Going from running a media business to like complete cold turkey stop. <laughs> It, it, it was pretty hard, but... Yeah, because you're always connected. Always connected, always working, always watching everything that's happening in the world. And then... Making from, dozens of calls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the time. Right. Yeah. From that to... From 100 to zero, you know, basically overnight. And I, I called my... I would call my family each month and I would say the same thing every time. I would ask them, are you praying the rosary? Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, no, no, no. It's like, what's that have to do with anything? I'd be like, that has everything to do with everything. Mm-hmm. Call back the next month. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. I love you. All this good stuff. Catch up and everything. Yeah. But then. Are you praying the rosary? Uh-huh. No, no, no. Like the next month. Are you praying the rosary? No, no, no. So they started to catch on that this was going to be my only question. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was, I'm, I'm a one trick pony, really. And that went on for about six months. And then I told my mom at one point, this was right before Lent. This was the last call that we, because we're not able to call during Lent. Um, the last call before Easter. Mm-hmm. And I said, mom, this, I guess this was like a little Our Lady's prophecy of sorts. I was like, mom, everything is going to get really, really bad if you don't start praying the rosary. Mm. So there's nothing else I can say but that mom. 
And sure enough, I, I talked to her on Easter Sunday, some 40, 50 days later. I was like, hey, mom, happy Easter and all this stuff. And then she's just like crying tears of joy and stuff. And I'm like, what happened? Uh-huh. And she goes, well, you were right. Everything got really, really bad. Oh, wow. With my family and all sorts of other stuff. And she's like, you know, kind of hitting a rock. She hit a rock bottom. My whole family did. Uh-huh. And then they started to pray the rosary. And right after that, everything started to change. And everything started to turn around and get better. And there was peace and there were healed relationships. And there was, there was peace. During this time that you were talking before Lent, mm-hmm. were they ever trying to talk you out? Trying to talk you to come back? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I mean, there, for, there was still that struggle there. Yeah. I mean, granted, by the time I was already there, um, they realized there's no sense in trying to do that. Uh-huh. Um, but they would always ask the question, you know, are, are you happy there? Are you sure you should be there and all this stuff? And then I eventually told them, I'm like, please stop asking me that question. I'm like, wow. that does not help, you know. One common phrase that we've heard um, among, you know, the uh, religious sisters, priests, and, uh, deacons that we've had was, you're abandoning the family. Did that one come up? That came up, but in even stronger terms. Yes. Really? Yeah. So... Anyway, so they start praying the rosary every day. Uh-huh. Everything starts changing. Then they start going to mass. Uh-huh. Start, and then they, they come out to visit me at, at the Abbey. And my, my dad makes his first confession since he became Catholic 25 years ago. Wow. My mom makes her first confession in 10 or 15 years, and she really did not like the sacrament which I understand it's, it's a hard, hard sacrament. Yeah. <laughs> it's very hard. There's nothing easy about it. Um, but the hardest part is showing up. It really is. The hardest part is showing up. She makes her, her first confession in many years. And now my family goes every single time they come and visit me. And they've been praying the rosary, going to mass. My mom's going to daily mass. My dad's praying the rosary, you know, before COVID when he would drive to work and on his way back and all this stuff. And now all they want for me is for me to be a Norbertine priest. Really? They are now my biggest advocates and my biggest supporters, and my biggest fans in what I'm doing. Did that surprise you? No, because I knew that would happen if they started praying the rosary. Wow because I knew that my joy would be theirs uh-huh. and that we would share this joy. And I thought one day I was like, you know, when I entered, I'm like, I hope that one day they won't be angry about this. Uh-huh. And then it'd be really, really great if they even were like, okay with it or at peace with it. And I thought, but the best possible scenario would be if they share my joy in this. And now my family tells me how proud they are of where I am and what I'm doing and how grateful they are that I didn't listen to them (laughs) (laughs) and that I just kept going despite putting me through the ringer and that my mom was with Gabe and I, when we went to Mexico to visit our lady of Guadalupe just the other day. Uh And she was telling me about how just all day she was thanking our lady for choosing me. And she was just praying to Our Lady about how unworthy she felt 
to have a priest for her son. Wow. Wow. Do you think it would have been a lot more difficult for them if you didn't have an older brother? If you didn't have someone to, someone else to possibly give grandchildren to carry on the family name? The only thing is I can't think of it being more difficult under any circumstance. <laughs> it's like, how much worse can it get? Yeah, so <laughs> hypothetically, yeah, maybe, but not really. You know, it was, we, pretty, we maxed out on the difficulty scale. <laughs> Your brother, is he married to have kids yet? Not yet. So we're still working on it. My mom's, you know, she wants grandbabies and I'm like, well, or is there I'm a not going to be any help. That he might. No, no, he's, he's, he's going to get married. So pray for that Our Lady sends him the right, the right girl, you know, but... Yeah. Speaking of girls, I assume that you dated through high school and co college? Nothing seriously, just in part, it was the same. So there same was no thing. girl that you left to enter the... No, um, because I knew that I did not want to fall in love. Because if I fall in love, I'm going to get married. Uh -huh. And I'm going to get married without ever having really discerned my mm -hmm. true vocation. And I don't want to look back 20 years from now and say, what if? Yeah. Despite what the sacrifice might be, hindsight, looking back and saying, what if I would have had a little courage to follow God's call? So that was, um, that was, that was always on my heart and on my mind. And now I ha am in love with the most beautiful woman in the universe and beyond, or how many, however many universes there are. <laughs> There's no competing there. <laughs> no, it's not fair. It's really not fair. What are the different stages? So you said earlier, mm -hmm. um, you, you, you come in and you're a postulant, you're wearing black. Mm -hmm. And then you said four months, is that what you four said? Four months. And then on, it's a really beautiful, uh, in the history of our order, St. Norbert, uh, clothed his first novices, his first disciples on Christmas Eve in the year 1121. So that's sort of the day we remember as the founding of our order, Christmas Eve. And we wear white, well, because Our Lady appeared to St. Norbert and gave him the white habit. Okay. But the whole, but the reason why she gave him a white habit is she wanted him to be like the angels of the resurrection, to be a living and constant witness that Christ has risen, that death has lost its grip, and that St. Norbert, whose mission was to reform the clergy, but we as Norbertines have such a strong focus on these, these happy mysteries, really, the mysteries of victory, so to speak, the nativity and the birth. So how appropriate it is that our order was founded on Christmas Eve, and still to this day, 900 years Later, all of our men are clothed with the habit of the Norbertine order on Christmas Eve. And it's the only service of the year that is not open to the public. Oh. It's the only thing we do all year that is of our liturgical prayer life that's uh -huh. not open to the public. It's a private event in our, what we call our chapter room, uh -huh. which is just like our private meeting area. Families, and, can they? No. No, so completely, completely closed off. Yeah. And, and what happens is the, the postulants process in and then they go and they ask Father Abbott and the community to be admitted uh -huh. into the order. 
and then uh, they are clothed with the new habit and then they go and they kneel in front of Father Abbott. Mm-hmm. And he says, from this day forward, you will be known as, and he gives the man his new name, mm-hmm. which they don't know what it's going to be beforehand. Oh, so you don't choose it. You submit three options. Father okay. Abbott has some wisdom about, a lot of wisdom about this. He, okay. He's learned that it's good to give people a little say in this because okay. you don't want a name that you're not going to like for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. Bad for business. Um, so you, you submit three options and then he will choose uh-huh. from those. And, but you, you find that out and the whole community finds that out the day you're clothed with the habit on, on Christmas Eve. What were your other two options? Anthony Mary for Anthony Mary Claret. Okay. Because I was born on his feast day. And um, Jonah, which I was told was Hebrew for dove. So I wanted, I wanted the most Marian saint available. And somehow St. John the Apostle was not taken. Mm. St. Joseph is taken, but St. John the Apostle was not taken. And I am not worthy to have St. John the Apostle as my patron in religion, because he is everything that I want to be, everything that I aspire to be. The man who had absolute confidence in Jesus's love, so much so that he just cuddles up with Jesus at the Last Supper in the midst of the whole assembly, you Mm -hmm. know, with no care, no care in the world, except to be near our Lord and to listen to his sacred heart beat. And where did St. John learn all of this? Like, where did he learn how to love Jesus with such just reckless disregard in a way? From Mary. It's no accident that the one whom Jesus loved, that Jesus' best friend, is also the one whom Jesus said, this is your mother. This is your son. Those two, there's a causal relationship there that whoever Mary takes for her own learns how to love our Lord in the greatest possible way because she teaches us how to love him with her heart, how to love him the way that she loves him, to be willing to suffer and to endure everything for him. This is what she instills in all of her children, everyone whom she, it's not adopt isn't the right word because it's so much stronger than that. This is not adoption. This is, this is, it's almost like a a marriage and a spousal, um, a union of of hearts, a union of souls. If we say that in marriage, the two become one flesh Mm -hmm. and St. Paul says that they, he admonishes people to become of one heart and one mind in Christ how much more true is that for those who unite with our lady in our Lord? How much more one of heart and mind do we become than even a man with his wife? This is a union that is rooted in the very nature of God. And that is why he has made us so that we can become one with him. And Jesus says that at the last supper, The purpose why he came was to reveal the father. And he says, father, I pray that they may be one as we are one. That's the goal. Yes. When you receive your white vestments, 
Mm-hmm. So is this the point where there's no turning back now? No, no, not at all. It's really kind of the beginning of the discernment process. Okay. And I think I, I just want to kind of give a word to anyone who is discerning a vocation right now that may be watching or listening. Mm-hmm. And that's that real discernment begins when you show up. You can't discern from your bedroom. You can't mm. discern from your computer or your phone or your house or your school even. Let me watch a couple of YouTube videos right. and discern. Yeah, that's, that's not going to That is not discernment. <laughs> okay. That's YouTube. Okay. <laughs> There's a big difference. And um, I think that's something that many people don't realize because we live in such a hyper technological world that uh-huh. we think that artificial realities are the same as real true realities. But we're talking about the triune God here whom we encounter, like we've talked about in the present moment, the here and the now. And that's where God speaks. He speaks in the here, the, 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 even the physical place. So until you go visit the communities that you've been thinking about, you haven't actually discerned those communities. So I think that's a really important thing for, for people to remember. And also, I just want to give a word of encouragement to anyone discerning and just tell you, be not afraid. Be not afraid. Our Lord and Our Lady have got you. You have nothing to fear. You only have the world to gain and heaven to gain. So do not be afraid. If you stay close to Our Lady and you stay close to her Holy Rosary, you will not be led astray. I promise you. So what's the difference between when you wear the black vestments and then that, you know, it, so that's, you said the, the real discernment happens when you're in the white. Yeah, yeah. Because you've now been integrated into the community in a new way. So now you're what's called a novice. Okay. And that's, you're, you really feel more like a member of the community because the, at least in, as an external sign, you are, so to speak, one of the boys or uh, one of the girls. You're or, not just visiting. Yeah. You're not just visiting anymore. Uh-huh. You, you're not, you don't feel like an outsider. It's like, you're really now a part of this community in a, uh-huh. new, in a new way. And you also receive a new name, which mm-hmm. is really significant. And that's what our Lord does whenever he called his apostles. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a sign that the old man has died and that the new man has come to life. And then how many years until the next? So the, then the novitiate for us is more or less the next year and a half. So it's two full years from the time you enter until the end of the second year. And that's when you take vows. Okay. So when you take vows, that's when in, during your novitiate you, and your postulancy, you are free to leave at any time. You can pick up and go. So at this point, you could still? Well, I've taken vows. Oh, you've taken vows already. Okay. So I took vows a couple years ago and I took them, they're what's called temporary vows. So it's just for a three-year period. But I take the same vows that, that everyone else who is like all of our priests take, okay. except for a temporary period of time to continue that discernment um, in a new way as a, as a vowed man. And God willing, I will be a vowed man for the rest of my life. So after that expiration, mm-hmm. if you decide not to, you could still... You could still leave. Yeah. And how many times do you take temporary vows? So we take our first three-year period of vows. And then after that, we renew each year okay. for about two or three more years. And then after that, we take final, what's called fine, final or solemn vows. And that's for life. Till death do you part. And then at that point, you will be father? At that point, I still 
won't be, I'll be ordained shortly after that a deacon. Okay. And then a year after that, a priest. So I'll be a solemnly professed religious, a fully vowed man before I'm ordained a deacon and before I'm ordained a priest. Okay. God willing. So that's a, that's a bunch of years. So there's it's a lot of years. So it's about a nine year process for us. Wow. To priesthood. So you've got the, the wearing black. How many months is that? Four. Four, four months. Then in the next, let's see, 20 months. Okay. Are as a novice. As a novice. Mm-hmm. And then you take your vows for the three years. Mm-hmm. Then how many, one year did you say? About three. Three? Two or three. Yeah. And then. You take your solemn final vows. Final vows. Then shortly after. Ordained a deacon. Deacon and then. A, and then a priest the next year. Priest. Yeah. Wow. That is quite a journey. It, it, it's like becoming a doctor, but for the soul. Are there any cases where you take more one year vows? It, 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 it's possible. Some, but canon law has certain restrictions of how long you can do that or how okay. many times you can do that. Okay. Um, I don't remember off the Father Abbott would be disappointed. He taught me canon law, but uh, <laughs> I know that it's out there. I know the answer to that question is out there. Okay. So you can't just, you know, just keep you can't, doing you, one. No, you can't perpetually discern it, so to speak. <laughs> you eventually like, have to make a choice. You can't beat around the bush. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> and that's, a, that's another thing about, about these that I think we, we look at religious life in a completely different way than we look at every other career, so to speak, uh-huh. which is every career, every life choice takes faith. It requires faith and it requires some sort of sacrifice. You're always going to give up something to choose something else. Yeah. Like you choose one course in college, you're giving up another one. Exactly. Uh-huh. The, it's the same thing when we're talking about religious life, but we see it differently for whatever reason. We see it just as the giving up. I'm just giving up. What we're not seeing is what we're gaining. We, I mean, as St. Irenaeus said, the glory of God is man fully alive. And I have experienced that in being a poor, chaste, and obedient, well, I try to be obedient, man, that I have come fully alive. I am the fullest version of myself that I've ever been. And this was something that my parents talked about, that this was their greatest fear for me, was that I was going to go to a monastery and turn into a drone. And just, you know, mm. that never look up from the floor and not know how to engage another human being <laughs> in conversation. But as my mom will be the first to testify, she's like, you're more you than you've ever been. You wow. know, for better or worse, you know, I'm, I'm more me than I've ever been. But that, it makes sense that that would happen because God wants the best version of us to come alive. He doesn't want a cookie cutter yeah. thing. He wants our unique individual person to be fully expressed. And that is only done when we're achieving his will. That's fantastic. What your mom said. Yeah. It's, it's, this is who you were meant to be. Yeah. That is fantastic. So now they're praying the rosary. They're praying the rosary, going to mass, going to confession. And they, I mean, my dad is so proud of me. My mom is so proud of me. And wow. Did you ever think that it would reach this point? I thought it'd be a whole lot longer. <laughs> yeah. So it was a nice surprise when it did happen. That's yeah, pretty amazing. That was, that's a great, uh, great Easter present. Huh? It was a great Easter present. Yeah. Now, what is your daily life like? So our first, we pray what, the divine office, liturgy of the hours, which okay. is what monks. So we're, we're, we're considered what's called canons regular. 
Norbertines or Canons Regular. And what does that mean? It's basically just a priest monk. Okay. So we live a very deep contemplative prayer life and a monastic monk-like life, but we also live an active apostolate, so active priestly lives. But that's when we're ordained. As seminarians, it's much more monastic than it is apostolic. Okay, so your life now is not exactly what it's going to be like. Right, exactly. Um, so our, we pray all the hours of the office in community, in choir every day. So that's seven times a day. We gather today to chant Gregorian chant, the Psalms. Wow. We sing the praises of God in Latin and in English. Wow. We have Holy Mass together every single day, um, Holy Hour, Rosary, um, and communal meals. I mean, our whole life is in common. It's in community. Because what St. Norbert realized is that it's not good for priests to be alone. Just as, our, as God said from the beginning, it is not good for man to be alone. Mm-hmm. But especially when you have the heaviest burden that a man can have, which is to celebrate and administer the, the sacred mysteries, that's the greatest thing a man can do with his life, to offer the holy sacrifice of the mass. And we need our brothers to help us to grow in holiness to avoid sin, to, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And it's so true. So I'm very, very grateful that our community takes our communal life so seriously. That doesn't mean it's easy because Uh community, it's friction creates fire, you know. (laughs) You've got different personalities. Right. It's always going to. It's always going to be like that. Even when you're surrounded by people who are, everyone is, I've noticed this, everyone is, I'm never going to be the smartest or the holiest man in the room. <laughs> and that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. So that's your, that's your life right now. Mm-hmm. But then after you're ordained, then how does it change? It'll be a more active. So instead of having classes from like 9 a.m. to noon or, you know, things in the afternoon, studying, reading, that kind of thing, that's where the priestly work will happen, I'll be going out to most likely to parishes or to hear confessions, say mass, give retreats, missions, or whatever it is that the community asks. So you're um, living a student life right now, yes, pretty much. Yeah, a student. Yeah. How many classes life. do you take? So in our philosophy program, we take, um, it, we take philosophy, which includes everything from logic to the study of the soul to ethics and the physics and metaphysics. And that's a two-year program and pretty much just reading Aristotle and St. Thomas. Mm. And um, then we have a history of philosophy class where we basically cover, I don't know, we probably have read like a hundred philosophers, origin, like only the original writings uh, from them, which is difficult because some of them don't make any sense, especially as you get more modern, you know. <laughs> uh, so it's not just, uh, not just Catholic philosophers. But oh, also, no. Oh, yeah. Total... Atheists, pagans, hedonists. Study all of that. We study all of it because we want to understand why are we in the place that we're at Uh philosophically right now. And I had no idea the reasons why our culture is the way that it is. I mean, a way to think about it is, uh, as Andrew Breitbart once said, politics is downstream from culture. But adding on to that a little bit, culture is downstream from philosophy. So in other words, philosophy the philosophy that we have mm-hmm. affects the culture that we have. The culture that we have affects the politics that we have. 
and we see that. The reason why we have such a messed up culture is because we have such messed up philosophy. We have such a, such a perverse understanding of the human person. So, which is why it's beautiful that I've studied the human person uh, through Aristotle and St. Thomas, the nature of the soul, how the soul is united with the body, how things actually work, ethics, and why certain things, what are the principles of moral actions? What makes something right? What makes something wrong? How can you decipher between these things? Um, all of the, I mean, I've, I are, I'm confident that there's not a better intellectual formation in the church than we have at St. Michael's Abbey. Because you're going all the way down to the roots of it. We are going back to the authorities that the church has given us. Uh-huh. But we're also going through, like I was saying, of, of the original writings of philosophers from the pre-Socratics all the way through, through Kant, Descartes, um, Hegel, these modern people, but also, yeah, and everybody in between. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, wow. and And then the other class that we take is is Latin. So we... Are, we take Latin very seriously in our community. And as our formation director said, he said, I want you to learn Latin as well as you know English. So are not, you able to like converse and have everyday conversations in Latin? I'm not, but we have, we have a handful of men who can wow. in our community. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. So right now you're just pretty much a sponge right now. I'm a sponge that is kind of at capacity. So I'm glad <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sponge that's leaking water everywhere. <laughs> Yeah. So, so this, this three weeks oh, of being out is just a good... It's very refreshing. <laughs> I, yeah, I got to let the sponge settle. How much more time do you have till you take your final vows? That'll probably be another four years. Okay. Yeah. So you're pretty much in like in the middle of it. I'm right about the halfway point. Yeah. Which is amazing. It's like four years ago. Wow. Who would have... It really... It's been the slowest, but also the fastest four years of my life. Um, and I can't believe looking back that... I'm now almost half, I'm basically halfway. It's amazing, you know, and it's all worth it. The thought of offering one holy sacrifice of the mass would be worth a thousand years in seminary. Please God, no, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be a perpetual discerner. <laughs> I do not want to be a professional discerner, nor do I want to live a thousand years. <laughs> After you become ordained, is, do, are we looking at like becoming a teacher or? It, it'll be whatever the community needs. But for the most part, what do most of the... We have, we have priests who, parish priests, we run a couple of parishes okay. in, in Orange and in LA. Okay. Um, so that, that's possible. We have teachers in, in high schools, so that's possible. Mm -hmm. um, we have our philosophy professors, you know, so that's possible. It, it, they really tailor it to what the needs of the community are and what the gifts and the talents of, this, of the particular person are. And the, the Norbertine motto is prepared for every good work. Mm -hmm. So whatever the church asks of us is what we try to fulfill, no matter what that is. So, which is great because you have to really be a, a well-rounded man to... Got to be prepared for anything. For anything, yeah. Because who knows what the needs are going to be four or five years from now right. when, when you are ordained. Mm -hmm. Now... Has there been any hints as to, oh, you know, any of your superiors saying, I could see you doing this or? Um, not, not so much now, just because we're so engaged in the day-to-day -day life of seminary life mm -hmm. that that's really the focus right now. Okay. And that th I'm sure they have ideas in mind, but I, I don't really go there yet because I, I just, it's hard enough for me to think about the present moment. 
that yeah. I just try to focus on that. But one of the things that I would love to do is to hear confessions. And I would, that's oh. something that really drew me to the priesthood originally was reading the lives of Padre Pio and John Vianney and seeing how they would sit in the confessional for 10 to 15 hours a day, every day. And I remember reading their lives and thinking, I want to be that. Just that they spoke to me in this way that I was like, we had this bond, this union that I can't explain that I'm like, I'm supposed to be like you. Uh -huh. Wow. Now that you're living this monastic life, is it a lot different from what would have been if you had gone into like, um, you've gone into the seminary mm -hmm. in the, for is, the diocese or something. Yes. Into the, into the diocese, like would have been like, is the, is the atmosphere different? Cause I've heard stories, you know, it gets a little rowdy in, in the, in the diocese and the seminary at St. Mary's. There, there are a lot of pranks going on. Is it similar there? Well, we, we do, we certainly have no shortage of pranks and that kind of thing, but uh -huh. it's, it's, it's a very, um, I can't speak to what the life is like in the seminary for the diocese, uh -huh. but our life is very contemplative. It's rich in prayer, but it's also rich in fraternal life and communal life. And we play sports, we play pranks, as you say. We do what, all what sorts. What kind of pranks have you been privy to? Any? Uh, I've I've seen everything from people putting like uh, snakes in people's rooms. Oh no! To, with <laughs> Harmless snakes, but there's no, yeah, to but me, still. to me, there's no such thing as a harmless snake. <laughs> they are all, they are all threatening. Um, I mean, a frog almost gave me a heart attack the other day in my garage, but yeah, but <laughs> a snake, I, a snake yeah. in my room. Oh, no grasses, no grasses. <laughs> Has anything happened to you? Um, I'm trying to think. I try to keep a short memory bank with these sorts of things. I, I have to get back to you. I'm sure that there, I know there have been. I just. Have you, you pulled know. a prank on anyone? Oh, of course. Of like course. what? Let me think. What is, what is the most mm. outrageous or, or in, interesting one that you've done to someone? Or is there somebody that you go back and forth with in terms of pranks? I'm sure, I'll have to get back to you on this one because nothing's coming to mind. So I don't want to. Uh, I want to give you some good material. Like, let me, let me chew on this one. I got to chew on this one. But it's always somebody who's also a student. Yeah. Also, yeah. you can't prank it Although, although I, I do, um, you know, one of our priests, this beautiful, wonderful man, Father Norbert, he's, he's 65 going on 105. And so I love to, uh, I love to mess with him a lot because he's, he's like full of energy and full uh -huh. of life and just has a huge heart. Uh -huh. but also, and is it one of the most prayerful men I've ever seen? Yet he's also one of the biggest, just like goofballs. <laughs> so I love to, I love to mess with him. So how do you mess with him? Well, like when I, when I came back from my last family visit, I got this don't mess with Texas thing. And I put it like, you know, we just put it in random places and, <laughs> and stuff, uh, which he was just because there's this aura about Texas and our monastery. Uh -huh. we, we have about 20 or 25% of our men are from Texas. Mm -hmm. So we joke that we're going to secede and take over the whole monastery, that kind of thing. Um, so there's like a little bit of a Texas mystique there. So I like to um, remind him of the superiority of our great nation of, of this Republic of ours. Keenan's brothers with y'all. Right? He is. He is. Adrian, he, right? Adrian. Yes. Frater Dominic now. He, Oh, there you go. Frater Dominic. Yeah. He entered, he's finishing up his first full year. And I mean, it's, it's a really beautiful thing to see how, 
how happy uh, he is because you can just see that this man has found his calling in life. And there's a joy there that you just don't see anywhere else. It's just so beautiful. I love it when uh, Keenan told us about how he visited, mm-hmm. how he visited y'all and <laughs> he was hoping that he wasn't going to like it. Yeah. <laughs> Calls yeah. up Keenan and goes, it's not looking good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He came, so, he came, Frutter Dominic came with the intention to just finally get it out of his mind yes. so he could move on because he was in the diocesan seminary at the time. Uh-huh. And so he's like, I just need to squish this one and move on with my life. Uh-huh. And then he got there and he was just warring inside and he's like, I hate that I love this place. <laughs> that's fantastic another thing that um a a lot of the seminarians and deacons and priests that have been on our show they talk about is um what they call chalice chippers cassock chasers women Mm -hmm. who are trying to pull them out of the vocation towards priesthood have you run into any of those types that there are you know oh this nice guy holy guy or maybe he'd make a good husband well, of course he would. That's why he would make a good priest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, short answer is yes. The, and I don't think that many young women are necessarily going for that as their intention, but they see uh, a good, holy young man who is spiritually mature and or nice looking and all the above mm-hmm. kind of fits all the criteria of what a good father would be. Uh-huh. So there's a natural attraction there, obviously. But this is also why it's important that we live such in a, an intense community life, because this is why you have brothers to, you don't talk, for example, our, the first five years that our priests or our, after they're ordained, they're not allowed to give spiritual direction to women. Mm. Unless the woman's like 110 or something, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, which is really wise, I think. Yes. Because we have plenty of priests who are able to do that. You know, uh-huh. but, but um, so we, even in our community, take real precautions to just avoid anything that could lead to scandal or temptation. Um, yeah, because we are still men and fallen men. doesn't matter how much you pray, how much you give your life to the Lord. You don't cease to be a real living human being. You don't stop liking girls. Right. Yes. Yeah. They don't, they don't become less beautiful. You know. So you have to be extra careful in the three weeks that you're out when you, yeah, for when sure. you go and visit family, go on trips and all of that. Absolutely. And I, I keep a, I try to keep kind of a, a rigid guard over my mind with this sort of thing where it's just like, you know, mm-hmm. trying to be very focused and um, aware that, yes. that of just, that doesn't mean not engaging, you know, a beautiful woman or something like, but just always keeping before my mind of who I am, what I am now, and that I am now a representative of the church. Mm-hmm. So every time I go in public and in our rule, the rule of St. Augustine, he says, he says, it's not forbidden to see women when you go out, but it is forbidden to wish to be seen by them and wish to be desired by them. Mm. And he says, concupiscence of the flesh is mutually aroused not only by affectionate touches, but also by affectionate glances. And let him not think that he's unobserved when he fixes his gaze upon a woman and likes to have her gaze rest upon him. So this is a man writing 1700 years ago about the, the vigilance that a man needs 
who is a priest, which is really wise, prudent advice. And it's good to see those things in the right healthy way, which is not to be afraid of them in such a, to such a degree that it, you know, inhibits your ability to actually interact with people in a, in a normal way, but to just be realistic about boundaries and, and when and where you're able to meet certain people and, and everything like that it takes prudence and self-control and all that good stuff. If you weren't where you are now, if, if you're looking uh, you know, if you had gone a different way, maybe a different order, where would you have been? Do you think? What was the second on the list? The second on the list for me was the East coast Dominicans. Yeah. They seem like a great community and, Maybe I just like wearing white. I don't know. What uh, do they wear? White habits. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. That's why. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's good. If you come for your three-week visit to Houston, you're in white. I am white. Of in black. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Any of those pranks come to mind yet? Not yet. I'm sorry. I hate to disappoint you, Rudy. You know, <laughs> you're drawing a blank, huh? I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> it's probably good that I'm drawing a blank. It's probably, my superiors probably appreciate that. They're like, yeah, don't talk about yeah, that. Not yeah, those things. We're, we're trying to forget about that yeah. when he did that. <laughs> yeah. But there are pranks. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of it. There's, there's a lot of, this is something that Father Connolly, who is the, the founder of St. Lawrence many, many, many years ago, and he was a good friend of my dad's. Um, when my dad called him when I was discerning, and he wanted just, you know, help talk him off the ledge, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And Father Connolly said, he said, he said, Bill, the most important thing to look for in the place that your son wants to go is, is there joy? Are the men there happy? Is there laughter? Is there, yeah, is there happiness? And that's probably what has struck my parents most when they've come to visit me at the Abbey just how joyful of a place it is, how happy the men are and how much they love each other. Like there's a real fraternal community there. There's real brotherly love. And just like normal brothers, there's shenanigans too. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that one of our recent guests said, she said people didn't expect, you know, when they have new novitiates come in that, um, when they come into the, um, when they come into the convent, they're surprised at how happy people are. Mm-hmm. They're surprised that like, this is not what I expected. What do, what do people say when they, they come in? That it's, a, I think it's the same thing. Pretty much the same thing. Which is there, as St. Teresa of Avila said, God doesn't want sour faced saints. <laughs> and it's really true that, that people have such a misguided idea of what, a religious is or what a monk is. And you don't realize that there's a fullness of joy there. That's not possible anywhere else because you've given your life completely to the only one who can truly make you happy. So it makes sense that you will be happy. Is that the biggest surprise? Um, I don't, I don't know. For each person it's probably different for me. The, the surprise released I'm, I think, yes, for other people visiting, for sure. Uh-huh. That's the biggest surprise. Yeah. For me, the surprise was seeing the things that were difficult for me, you know, that were challenges or the biggest challenges, which I wasn't expecting, you know, but all of that God uses to humble us and to really let us see the depths of our need for him. But he has to kind of break you down 
before you can really be rebuilt in his image and into the man that he wants you to be. Because the, the, the purpose of the monastery, and this is the role of Our Lady too, is to form other Christs, just as the one true Christ was formed in one way and one way only. And that was in the womb and in the heart of Our Lady. So, and this is the true man, the one true man, Jesus Christ. So too, this is how she forms every other man, every other woman in her womb, in her heart, through her love and her intercession. Our Lord is showing us the model of how we become man, which is come and become man just as I became man by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. Now, you gave some advice earlier for somebody who may be discerning, you know, religious life. What advice would you have for the family Mm. since you had that problem with your family? If any family members, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters who may have a relative and they're struggling with it, what advice would you have for them? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I would tell them it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. And there's no way around that. I think that's helpful to know that we, because we live in a world where we're always trying to make the pain stop or go away. Mm -hmm. And yet there are certain, as Robert Frost said, the best way out is through. And when it comes to carrying our cross, that is also true. That it's a cross because it's a cross, because it hurts and their suffering. But God's will is not that we be prevented from suffering. It's his will that we never suffer alone. That we always are able to suffer with him and with our lady. Because there's always going to be suffering. There's always (laughs) going to be suffering. So the question shouldn't first be, how do I make it stop? It should be, how do I patiently endure this? And the only way to do that is by inviting Jesus and Mary to come and to share that suffering. Because no one knows what it's like to lose a son like the Virgin Mary knows. Mm. Because there's no one who ever loved a son more than she did. And if anyone could be angry about losing a son, she has the right. Because he was the only innocent person ever. He did nothing wrong. That's true. Wow. But we, but we see what happens on the third day, and that's the beauty of it. We know how the story ends. There's no suffering that goes unrewarded. There is no suffering when it's born for the love of God that will not be turned into joy. As St. John says in his vision in the apocalypse, on that day when we see God face to face, every tear will be wiped away. That is for certain, but for a little while, it might hurt. Thanks for that advice. I'm sure somebody will be able to benefit from that. And thank you for taking the time out of, you know, your your busy schedule. I'm sure you had a lot uh, packed in, you know, because you only have three weeks. So we thank you so much for taking the time on such short notice to come in and tell your story and Maybe the next time you come on the show, it'll be Deacon or Father. Well, John, God willing. God, well, maybe I'll see you sooner than that. But maybe. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Rudy. And we wish you the best. Thank you. Can I close this with a prayer before we leave? Sure. Okay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Mother, Queen and Mother of Sorrows, we ask that you send the Holy Spirit, your spouse, upon us as he came upon the early church at Pentecost. Send forth the fire of divine love into our hearts, into the hearts of every young man and woman, considering and discerning your holy will, into the hearts of every family who has this great gift of a vocation in their families. Give them the love for the priesthood and for the religious life that you have, O Holy Mother, that you chose for yourself and for your son. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother Mother of God, God, pray pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. Amen. 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 Son of the Holy Spirit. Well, we wish you the best. God bless you. Thank you, Rudy.